Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to the Kitchen Garden Magazine podcast, your fortnightly fix of gardening features, advice and chat. Subscribe and follow us now to never miss an episode. You're listening to Kitchen Garden Magazine, the home of down-to-earth advice for those growing their own fruit and veg. This is the March 2021 audio edition. Coming up, got a fruit or veg problem? Ask KG for help in KG Problem Solver. And Emma Rawlings offers some tips in... How to start a new plot. But first, your top jobs for March. Tasks for your vegetable patch by Joyce Russell. Lift leaks. Some winter crops need to be lifted to make room for new plantings. Dig any leaks left in the ground and heal them back in as a bunch at the edge of the bed. They need to be used fairly soon, but this keeps them fresh and slows bolting. Plant early potatoes. First early and salad potatoes can go into the ground around the middle of the month. In colder areas, planting will be delayed until the ground is warm enough for growth. These first potatoes grow fast to make some early delicious roots. Prepare beds. Dig over any empty beds when the soil is dry enough that it doesn't clump and compact. Prepare beds to suit what you plan to grow in them. Add lime to reduce soil acidity and improve drainage, or dig in some manure to increase acidity. Get sowing. There's a lot you can sow if the weather permits in the second half of the month. Start seeds that don't need added heat and are hardy enough once they're growing. Peas, broad beans, parsnips and salad do well from a March sowing. Last chance to plant fruit. Bare-rooted trees and bushes should be planted before buds start to break. Wait until autumn if you've missed the moment or plant ones that are growing in large pots and have a healthy root ball. Don't let roots dry out before you get trees into the soil. On the veg patch. Three steps for better tomato plants. Step 1. Choose outdoor varieties if you're growing plants on outdoors. Sow around 8 seeds in a 13cm or 5-inch pot of good compost. Cover with a plastic bag and hold this in place with a rubber band. Put on a sunny indoor window ledge. Remove the bag as needed to water seedlings. Step 2. 
When seedlings are big enough to handle, they can be pricked out into individual 8cm or 3-inch pots. To ease roots out, taking care not to break stems. Drop the stem into a hole in the middle of a pot of damp compost so the leaves are close to the surface. Step 3. Grow on in a sunny place at room temperature. Keep compost damp. If stems are leggy and leaves are pale, the plants need more light. Put plants outdoors on any fine warm day, but bring them in at night until temperatures are high enough to plant outside in a sheltered bed or container. Plant onion sets. Choose your planting time carefully for onion sets. They need a long enough growing season to produce large bulbs, but they're more likely to bolt if they are frosted when they're small. The latter half of March can be a good planting time, or wait until April if the ground is below 7 degrees Celsius or 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Red varieties take as long as white ones to grow, and planting through a sheet mulch of black polythene can help to keep the ground warm. This also helps to keep moisture in the soil. You'll need to run a hose underneath if we get hot dry weather when bulbs are swelling from June to August. Wash pots. Bring out all your unwashed pots that were used last year. Choose a fine day and give them a good scrub in some warm soapy water. Spread them out and hose off the suds, then leave them to dry in the sun. This may seem like unnecessary work when you can just fill them with compost and start to sow, but it is worth the work if you want to be sure that disease doesn't pass from one growing year to the next. Clumps of old compost can harbour pests in the corner of pots. A quick washout and sun-dry will help with any residual compost, bugs and mould spores. Top fruit tip. Provide supports. Most trees and canes need the correct support system to ensure that they don't break in strong winds or under the weight of a heavy crop. Young trees need a support stake driven into the ground with a strong tie between the trunk and the stake. If you are training a tree against a wall, then use a system of wires fixed into the masonry. Don't tie any part of the tree so tight that ties cut into the bark. This can allow disease spores to enter and the branch may break or die back. Don't crowd branches as you tie them in place. A good spread allows air and light to reach where it is needed and pollinating insects can reach all the flowers. Rows of raspberry canes do best with a support system too. Put a post at each end of the row and stretch wires between them. Tie each cane loosely and preferably at more than one point. Successional sowings A good vegetable garden should have an even spread of things to eat throughout the year. One way to achieve this is to make regular small sowings of lettuce, spinach, rocket, peas and beans, for example. Make sowings three to four weeks apart so one row comes ready to eat when an earlier one finishes. This way, you don't have more lettuce than you can possibly eat one week and then no lettuce at all for the following months. First carrots. Try an early March sowing of carrots in a large pot or bucket. Make sure there are good drainage holes in the base and fill with good compost. An early carrot variety like Nantes or Amsterdam forcing works best. Scatter two or three pinches of seed and cover with a thin scattering of compost.
keep compost damp and protect from slugs and snails. You should get a pot full of fingerling carrots long before sowings are ready to lift from the garden. Top veg tip. Know your plant food. Use the right feed if you want to get the best out of your plants. Manure. Well rotted stuff from the animal or processed into pellets etc. Both are high in nitrogen which is important for leaf growth. Used for growing nitrogen greedy crops like potatoes and black currants. Dig into any bed where fertility needs to be improved, but don't sow root crops straight afterwards. Compost. Your own from the garden heap or bagged and sterilised stuff from garden stores. Well-rotted compost from the heap is great for adding worms, microbes, etc. into the soil. It will improve the fertility of any bed and will help build humus and soil structure too. Garden compost must heat to a high enough temperature to kill weed seeds. Use it for growing most fruit and vegetables, but particularly potatoes, onions, garlic, beetroot, carrots and strawberries. Seaweed. Fresh, liquid or dried and powdered. This miracle feed is perfect for potash-loving plants like tomatoes and onions. Fresh seaweed contains compounds that help stimulate growth and increase tolerance to disease. Some of this is reduced in bought preparations, but seaweed is always an excellent feed. Fish blood and bone is a good source of nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium. Use it sparingly in advance of planting or scatter around fruit trees and bushes. Pests and problems Slugs Slugs and snails are active as soon as the weather warms up. They like nothing better than some tasty young seedlings to munch upon. Protect plants with organic-approved pellets and encourage any frogs in the garden. These eat eggs as well as slugs, and full-grown adults eat snails as well. Greenfly These pests form a sticky mess on young leaves and they suck sap from the plant, so can distort the tips of seedlings. If plants are in pots, then take them outdoors and hose the pests off. You can hose rows too, but you must repeat regularly if pests make their way back up. Earwigs Remove earwigs when you find them. They nibble small holes in plants and large numbers can cause significant damage. Lay a pot filled with straw or similar on its side to make a collection point. Dogs and children I don't consider either of these to be pests, but both can do damage to small plants growing in beds. Push twiggy sticks in around the edge of the bed. These need to be tall enough to deter your size of child or pet. Sticks can be removed when plants are big enough to survive. So now. Nasturtiums and French marigolds for controlling aphids and whitefly. Broad beans, peas, mange too, leeks, beetroot, brussels sprouts, lettuce, cabbage, parsnip, celery, turnip, salad leaves, spinach, parsley, radish, tomatoes and courgettes in pots. Plant now. Broad beans and peas, shallots, soft fruit bushes and canes, early potatoes, onion sets. Harvest. Broccoli, spring cabbage, kale, cauliflower, leeks, chard, spinach and spinach beet. 
In the Greenhouse with Martin Fish This month's top job, sowing aubergines and peppers. For many gardeners, March is the main sowing time for aubergines and peppers to produce strong plants for growing on in a greenhouse or polytunnel. You can sow earlier if you wish, but the earlier you sow, the longer you need to provide heat and possibly supplementary lighting. From experience, sowing in early March is plenty early enough and will produce plants by mid to late April to grow on. I like to sow in small pots of good quality compost that's been levelled and lightly firmed. The secret is to sow evenly and not too crowded. Cover with vermiculite or a thin covering of compost, water lightly and stand the pots in a propagator to set to around 18 to 20 degrees Celsius or 65 to 70 degrees Fahrenheit, where germination takes around 7 to 14 days. Sow leeks in trays. Although leek seed can be sown directly outside when the weather is warm, to start seedlings off early, you can sow under cover. This produces strong plants for growing on outside from May, but you can also use some of the seedlings to plant in the polytunnel to provide you with baby leeks in midsummer. An easy and convenient way to sow the seed is to use small plug trays filled with a fine multi-purpose compost. The black angular seed is just about large enough to be sown individually into each cell and given a light covering of compost. Keep the compost moist and the tray in gentle heat to aid germination. Small grass-like seedlings will start to emerge in 10 to 14 days. Harvest early lettuce and sow more. If the weather hasn't been too cold and light levels have been good over the past month or so, you should soon be starting to harvest the first fresh salad leaves of the spring. To ensure you have a steady supply of fresh salads and lettuce over the rest of the year, you need to remember to sow little and often. It's easy to sow too much and have a glut, so make a mental note to sow small amounts of seeds every two or three weeks directly into the soil or into cell trays to produce seedlings for growing on. The amount of salads you eat will determine the quantity of seed to sow, but regular sowing is key to a steady supply. Start onions in trays. A very easy way to grow onions is to start them off from sets planted out in spring. The small immature onions are raised from seed by specialist growers and then stored ready for spring planting. Once planted, they soon start into growth and will mature into a good-sized bulb by late summer. Although mainly planted individually directly into prepared ground, I often plant some into large cell trays, like the ones you buy bedding plants in. I plant three sets close together in a cell and start them into growth under cover. When there's around 5 centimetres or 2 inches of top growth, carefully plant out the clumps in the polytunnel to get smaller bunching onions ready to lift in August. Check citrus plants after winter. Although the days are now getting longer and temperatures are gradually rising, plants that have been ticking over can sometimes be at a low ebb due to cool conditions and poor light over the winter months. Citrus carry on growing through winter and it's when many come into blossom, 
so now is a good time to check them over and get them ready for new spring growth. Any dead stems or yellow foliage should be trimmed off to tidy them up. Check also for signs of pests, such as scale insects, that can be a problem. If the brown scales are spotted on the undersides of leaves or on stems, simply rub them off with your thumb to remove. What to do in March Continue to sow tougher root and leaf vegetables directly into the soil borders in the polytunnel or greenhouse. Check on seed potatoes that are being chitted and when shoots are developing, pot a few into large pots to start them growing. Gradually increase the amount of water you give to potted strawberry plants as they start to make new growth. Tomato seedlings from an early sowing should be pricked out at the two-leaf stage and grown on in light, warm conditions. Give spring greens a boost to encourage new, fresh growth with a high-nitrogen fertiliser sprinkled onto the soil. March Tips If you don't have a light in your greenhouse or polytunnel, it's well worth fitting a battery or solar lamp so that you can check plants, seedlings and the heater on cold nights. Battery lamps with LED bulbs are cheap to buy and last for ages. Alternatively, install a solar lamp and take advantage of the sunshine and free energy. Make sure you have a good supply of quality compost ready for seed sowing and potting through the busy spring months and bring it under cover to warm it through. Remember to use your max stroke min thermometer on a regular basis to record the minimum night and maximum day temperatures. This info is vital to help regulate vents and heating. Look over seedlings regularly and check their progress. Check for leaves being nibbled, which is usually caused by slugs looking for some tender food to munch on. Don't be tempted to get carried away and start sowing all your vegetable seeds too early. Some can be sown now if you can provide the correct conditions for germination, but others are best left for a few weeks until it's naturally warmer. Sowing dates on the packet are only a guide. KG Problem Solver Got a fruit or veg problem? Ask KG for help. Failed Brassicas This year I had one bed of mixed brassicas that completely failed due to club root. I bought some of the plants from a garden centre, so perhaps I imported the problem. I accept that I cannot grow brassicas on that bed for many years to come, but I have two questions. Can I grow other crops on that bed? I'm thinking potatoes in the coming year, as I haven't grown them there for three years. Do I have to take extra precautions not to spread the club root virus to another bed on my tools, boots, etc.? From Sue Stanford of Surrey. Emma says, Sorry to hear about the club root. The good news is, is that you can grow anything that is not a member of the Brassica family in that spot. So, potatoes are fine. Particularly affected are cabbages, cauliflowers, kale, swedes, turnips, sprouts, Chinese cabbage and other related crops such as wallflowers. Some are less liable to infections such as radish and pak choy but are still probably best avoided in that spot. Of course brassicas can still be grown elsewhere or in new raised beds or containers. You do have to be very careful about moving the infection from one place to another in soil stuck to tools and boots, 
and this is a major source of infection on allotment sites, for example. Tom Talk There are many disagreements on my allotment site regarding growing tomatoes. Some of us prefer growing in a soil border in the greenhouse, some in pots in the greenhouse. Which is best? From Brian Driver of Tyne and Weir. Steve says, Both pots and borders are fine and I do both every year. The border soil is good and tends to dry out a little less and to hold on to nutrients better. However, if tomatoes are grown in the same soil for many years, it is likely that soil-borne diseases will build up to a point where the crop suffers and the soil will either have to be replaced or rested, i.e. covered and the plants grown in pots or growing bags. Pots are best if they are fairly large, florist bucket size, like the ones you see containing cut flowers in the supermarket, and to increase the rooting volume still further, you could cut the bases out and stand them on the soil or over growing bags and tomato planters. Mine are stood over a water and feed reservoir with a wick connecting the two, and I got mine from Greenhouse Sensation some years ago. Just replace the capillary matting wick each year. I hope that helps settle any arguments. In fact, you're all correct, so no need for fisticuffs. Rotten quince Last year again, my quince suffered from some kind of disease and went rotten. Is this something that I will have to suffer, or is there anything else I can do? This year, the quince tree has had a bumper harvest, so I haven't actually lost out much. From Carol Bedwell of Middlesex. Steve says, Unfortunately, all fruit suffers from its own range of pests and diseases, and in common with apples and pears, brown rot is widespread on quince. This is often, although not always, initiated by codling moth and other similar pests which bore into the fruit, allowing the disease to enter. So, as well as picking off diseased fruit and cutting off badly affected branches, it is important to control the pests by hanging a codling moth trap in the tree in May. Remember to replace the little pheromone capsules as instructed, but even so, this is unlikely to cure the problem completely, especially if there are lots of other apples, pears and quince in the area, as the pests are highly mobile. Therefore, there will always be a percentage of spoiled fruit. Your tree seems to be highly productive, however, so perhaps a few spoiled fruit isn't such a terrible thing. The tree must be a lovely sight in spring when in flower and later as the crop is ripening. Mum's the word. I have had chrysanthemums on my allotment for the last couple of years and have a mixture of varieties. I have some beautiful flowers but have not managed to get either a proper spray or single bloom and I'm not sure what you're supposed to do once the plants have started to shoot. From Susan Weedy of Northumberland. Emma says, Chrysanthemums are certainly a lovely allotment flower and come in such a great range of flower shapes and colours. However, generally, plants are pinched in about late May or June, from early May in the south, later in the north. The resulting shoots are then allowed to grow. How many side shoots you allow to develop on each plant to give the perfect size flower will depend on which varieties you are growing, and for very large flower types, you may only leave two shoots to flower, but with smaller flower types, you may, for example, allow three or four, and this is where the specialist knowledge of the supplier or enthusiast comes in.
As the shoots grow, they will eventually start to produce buds. For the best individual single blooms, you should remove, disbud, all but the central bud, leaving this to develop to give you a good size bloom. For sprays, you can allow about three shoots to develop per plant. Unlike with single blooms or disbuds, it is the larger central bud which is removed, leaving the side buds to develop to form a good spray. For more advice, ask your supplier or a local enthusiast, or check out the website of the National Chrysanthemum Society, www.nationalchrysanthemumsociety.co.uk. Composting chicken bedding. My daughter keeps chickens, and the bedding she insists on using is pine oil, antifungal, and antibacterial. While this is really good for chickens, how might it affect my composting? Is it usable? From Mary Thorpe of Oxford. Anton Rosenfeld, Knowledge Officer of Garden Organic. Anton says Some chicken bedding has small amounts of pine oil added, which contains natural terpene compounds that inhibit microbes and reduce odours. However, terpenes can be broken down relatively quickly. Chicken bedding has the ideal mix of nitrogen-rich material in the chicken poo and brown material in the bedding, so will stimulate high levels of microbial activity in the compost heap. We would therefore expect these microbes to break down the small amounts of terpene compounds pretty quickly. This seems to be borne out in practice by people who observe that their chicken bedding composts very successfully. How to start a new plot So, you want to start growing veg or expand an area you already have, but you've no idea where to start. Or, are you about to take on an overgrown allotment? Emma Rawlings offers some tips. Starting to grow your own vegetables is a really exciting project, but can seem a bit overwhelming at first. The best way is to start small and keep adding more areas and crops as you build up confidence. So, the first question is, what type of plot are you planning? Is it a veg plot from scratch in your back garden? Do you want a few containers on a patio? Or maybe you're just about to take on an allotment. Here are a few pointers to help you get going. 1. Plot from scratch. So, you have a garden and want to grow a few veg. The question is, where do you do it and how do you go about it? Ideally, you want a sunny spot. That said, there is a lot you can grow in part shade. The other issue is the state of the soil where you want to grow. The best place will be a piece of lawn or an area previously used as flower borders. If it is in part of a garden which is full of rubble and waste or an old patio area, then maybe raised beds might be a better option here, unless you're prepared to put in a lot of extra preparation work first. Turning lawn into a veg patch If you are creating a veg patch from a piece of lawn, you have a few options. If the area is not too big, you can lift the turfs of grass with a spade. It helps to mark out the area with strings, then insert a spade into the turf by 5 to 8 centimetres or 2 to 3 inches, and then make two lines a spade's width wide. Then you cut short cross sections along the length and then push the spade under to lift the turfs. The grass should lift up in nice blocks. 
These can be used elsewhere in the garden if you want to grass an area. It can be given away, or you can make a turf stack by piling up the turf with grass-facing grass. Eventually, it will break down and give you some nice topsoil to put back on your borders. If you have a large area, you can hire mechanical turf lifters if you need help with this. You often find quite good soil beneath the lawn, although it can be compacted from years of foot traffic. So the next step is to fork over the soil beneath to break up this hard pan. Once the soil is dug over, you may be ready to plant if the soil is good. If the soil is really heavy and sticks to your fork badly, it could be very clay. If the soil is the opposite, it could be quite sandy. A nice loamy soil be fairly easy to dig and break up nicely into a crumbly material and be quite dark. There should be plenty of worms too. Double digging. If you feel your soil is not that good, then it may pay to do some extra preparation before sowing. You could double dig at this stage, incorporating well-rotted garden compost or manure if you can source some. Double digging is digging deeper, over a spade's depth, than you normally would and starts with a trench. The soil from the first trench can be put to one side or in a barrow or at the far end of where you are digging. Then add some compost or manure to the trench, fork in and then start the next row piling the soil onto the manure in the first trench. Work your way back, adding some compost or manure as you go. It is hard work and it is a deeper working of the soil, but it can be a one-off when you first start the plot to open up the soil. Incorporate organic matter and just get the soil worked and loose to a deeper level. Spray and dig Mark out the area you want as the veg bed and then spray the grass with a non-residual herbicide before digging the grass in. You may find that some regrowth occurs and this can be weeded out later. Don't want to use weed killers? Then simply cover the soil with cardboard or ground cover fabric until the grass dies. No dig bed prep Charles Dowding is a no dig specialist and has accumulated a wealth of knowledge he now passes on to others in courses and books. The no-dig method is about leaving the soil undisturbed and feeding the soil with organic matter to encourage a natural environment teeming with soil life. A soil that is full of the right soil flora and fauna in balance will produce the best crops. We recommend you visit Charles's website for more details on the subject at www.charlesdowding.co.uk Charles also starts plots using the no-dig method. A preamble by a degradable material, such as cardboard, is laid over the ground. The ground can even be weedy, preferably not a really persistent perennial weed or a lawn. Then a generous amount of compost or rotted farmyard manure is piled on top roughly 5 centimetres or 2 inches. This you'll have to source and make sure the manure is not from animals that have been on pasture treated with weed killers. The beds are not dug but are created in such a way you can reach to the middle from both sides. You don't need sides for these beds, although initially some temporary wooden logs or posts laid on their sides can help to keep things tidy while the beds are being formed.
You could use cardboard or other materials such as wood chip between the beds to create pathways. Initially, planting into these beds, it is best to use vegetable plants or maybe potato tubers if at the right time of year. Each year, more organic matter, either from your own compost heaps or imported, is put on the beds. This is a great method for many reasons. It means you avoid the hard annual digging over of the plot. The no-dig method is also well known to be an excellent way to keep the soil in good health. Digging can actually damage the delicate balance. The only downside is requiring plenty of organic matter to top up the beds every year. You can create your own organic matter if you make your vegetable plot first. Then the next job is to make a compost heap to feed your plot. Making your own compost is as important as the plot itself as it returns the goodness to the soil that you removed in growing the crops. Creating lazy beds. This is a very old method of starting a veg plot that was originally used by farmers in Ireland and crofters in Scotland to start their plots. Their all-important staple crop, the potato, was planted by this method. It literally is cutting the turf and peeling back and then planting. The crofters near the coast would use copious amounts of seaweed on the new beds to improve the soil. An alternative to seaweed is homemade garden compost or farmyard manure. There are subtle differences in the technique, but one of the more modern ideas is to lay a line of cardboard on the grass and then heap up manure or compost on top, then plant your seed potatoes and cut the turf either side. These are flapped over the manure and potatoes. You can backfill with a bit more compost if there is a slight gap. Once the crop is finished, you have beds to grow more crops in. 2. Containers and raised beds If digging up an area of your garden is not possible, you can grow lots of veg in containers or create some raised beds. Any container that holds compost or soil can be used as long as it has drainage holes in the bottom. Buckets with holes drilled in the bottom are good to start with, as you don't need anything fancy. If you're planning on using a lot of large containers or building raised beds, it may be a good idea to buy in some topsoil. Rowlawn do vegetable and fruit topsoil, which you buy in bulk. Soil will retain moisture and nutrients better than compost and if using in pots, these are more stable filled with soil. Plus, you're not using peat-based compost and if it's a long-term project, soil would be better. 3. Getting an allotment Taking on an allotment is a big commitment and in some parts of the country there is a long waiting list. But once you get your plot, the fun can begin. If you take on a badly overgrown plot, it can be a bit daunting and it may be best to not try and clear it all in one go. Divide it up either in your head or create a drawing of the plot and peg or string out certain areas. If the ground does not seem too bad, areas can be covered in. Mypex or cardboard weighted down and just left until you're ready to work with them. Carpet is often used, but not always recommended, as it can contain toxins, and it sometimes shreds if left down for a long time, and eventually soil covers it. Anyone who has inherited a plot 
that has had carpet put down years before knows how difficult it is to lift and dispose of. You can also lay thick black polythene, a heavy-duty one, if you have patches of particularly troublesome weeds, such as mare's tail, bindweed, ground elder or similar. It may be that you need to leave it for several months. Once you remove the polythene, you will have killed some of the weeds. Incredibly, some may survive and regrow, but in theory, they will have been weakened. A plot that is covered in brambles, thistles and rough, tufty grass and perennial weeds is a real challenge. It is best to cut it back as hard to the ground as you can with a brush cutter or strimmer, depending on the woody nature of it. Do check and disturb the area first to frighten away any wildlife such as hedgehogs. Also, be careful on allotments as glass, metal and other debris can be hidden beneath the undergrowth. If the plot is really large, why not allow an area to remain wild, at least for several months, to allow a wildlife corridor for any creatures you disturb by the new cultivation? You could even maintain that area in the future as a dedicated wildlife patch and add flowers or log piles to increase the diversity. Once you've got the worst of the growth and debris off an area you want to cultivate, then you can dig over small sections and remove as many weeds and roots as you can. If you're not averse to spraying and you're doing this job in the spring or summer, you could wait for the inevitable regrowth and then spray it off. To rotivate or not to rotivate, that is the question. A tricky one because in theory the blades chop up any perennial roots and these often re-sprout en masse, but you have to weigh it up. With a beast of a rotivator, you can create a deep, fine tilth quickly. If you plant or sow into this, you'll get weeds coming through, but the root pieces may be smaller, so are actually easier to extract. And with regular weeding in the first couple of years, you can get on top of the worst of it. The best crops to plant in new areas of an overgrown allotment are potatoes, which are tough and the cultivation of this crop with the earthing up and deep-rooted nature of them means you cultivate the soil as you grow and harvest. You could try onions and garlic if white rot is not endemic on the plot. Other crops that you grow can be started off in pots first, such as beans or brassicas. The fine seeds of salad crops may not compete with the dense weed growth that may occur, plus you may struggle to identify what are weeds and what is your salad crop. Starting off salads in cell trays and planting out later may help. There is no easy, quick fix with an overgrown allotment, but doing small sections at a time, persistence and regular weeding will pay off. Raised beds or not whether you decide to have a veg plot of raised beds or to garden at ground level is a matter of personal preference. The aforementioned no-dig and lazy beds are the equivalent of raised beds, but without the sides and are a cheaper way of achieving similar. Raised beds are more costly to set up unless you have a source of recycled materials. They do make things neater and are easier to manage, especially if the sides are reasonably high. These are particularly good for people with mobility issues. However, the higher the sides, the more material you will need to fill the beds. Soil is best, so this may need to be bought in. 
A raised bed can also be as low as a few inches to just create an edge, although these can be more of a trip hazard. The paths can be grass or you could lay a membrane when you're creating the beds and this can be topped with gravel or bark chippings. This will certainly prevent a lot of weed growth but a membrane is not vital if you're happy to weed the pathways. All My Reads gives you unlimited access to more than a hundred specialist books from history to mystery, rockets to royals, planes to trains, bikes to biographies and much, much more. Access the digital books across multiple devices including your desktop, tablet and phone. All My Reads is just $4.99 per month. Visit allmyreads.com to find out more. Browse the extensive range of titles and try your first month for just 99 pence. Get ready to browse and begin. Still to come, David Patch turns his attention to soft fruit, one of the easiest and most rewarding groups of plants to grow. Sandra Barnes has reasons to be cheerful in Against All Odds. And in the last word, we interview no-dig pioneer Charles Dowding. But first, asparagus. Yes, it's well worth the wait. Asparagus requires a little patience, initially, says Rob Smith, but your patience will be rewarded with crops for many years to come. If there is one gourmet crop that I love to grow in the kitchen garden, it has to be asparagus. With its incredible harvesting potential, totally divine taste and ability to crop for up to 20 years. What's not to love? As asparagus is a perennial vegetable, it's not the quickest to start cropping and can't be harvested in the first year like annuals such as lettuce. However, once your asparagus bed is up and running, it is easy to maintain and hardly takes any looking after apart from weeding. Before deciding to create an asparagus bed, there are a few considerations that need to be taken into account. Otherwise, your efforts could end in disaster rather than success. The main thing to consider when planning to grow asparagus is space, as your plants will need a permanent bed to themselves for the duration of their life. This means you won't be able to use it for any other crop, and so it will reduce the available space you have for year-round growing. Getting the soil right. The bed also needs to be well-draining. If it is not naturally this way inclined, you can add grit and organic matter or build a raised bed to grow in. This is what I've done with great success and include lots of organic matter and topsoil compost. Also note that asparagus beds may need garden lime added to them to create a growing medium that's around pH 6.5 to 7.5. The easiest way to alter the pH of your soil is to grow in raised beds and add the correct soil to the bed rather than trying to constantly alter the soil in the garden. When considering where to grow your plants, never replant in a bed that has previously had asparagus in it as disease can build up over the lifetime of the plants and can seriously affect newly added plants. Planting Asparagus are normally grown from crowns, the roots and growing tips of the plant, which are traditionally planted in March. However, there are also many types which can be bought and planted in the autumn or winter, allowing plants to settle in before they burst into life in spring. 
Regardless of when you plant your asparagus plants or where you grow them, they're all started off in the same way. You should first dig a trench, 30 centimetres or 12 inches deep, and a spade wide. You then want to add well-rotted manure to the trench and fork it through the bottom of the trench, as these plants are hungry crops and this will help feed them. Next, add a little of the excavated soil back to the trench and create a 10 centimetre or 4 inch high ridge, like a little hill, all the way along the trench. This is where the crowns will sit. The crowns are quite delicate, so you can soak them in water for an hour to make them a little more workable. Place the crown on the top of the ridge, with the roots going down the sides. Just be careful the roots don't snap if you twist them too hard. Place a plant every 30 to 40 centimetres, or 12 to 16 inches, down the trench, and 50 centimetres, or 20 inches, between rows. Then backfill with the remaining excavated soil, so that the top of the growing tips is just showing from the soil. Water well and then mulch with 10cm or 4-inch well-rotted manure or compost. Now your asparagus bed is ready to grow. If you want to try growing asparagus from seed, it's perfectly doable, but will take a year or two longer before plants can be harvested. Seed will need to be sown in February to be planted out in late May or June. Aftercare Once early spring arrives, it's best to add around 100 to 120 grams of blood fish and bone per square metre to your asparagus bed. But don't work it in with a rake or metal tool, as the plant's roots are very shallow and easy to damage. Either water it in or just leave it on the soil surface for the rain to do the job for you. Now comes the hard part, not harvesting for the next two years. This may seem like forever, but while you are resisting the urge to pick your asparagus spears, the plants are putting more energy into creating big, productive crowns, which will be able to cope with being cropped in the future. Any harvesting before they are bulked up enough can be detrimental to the plants in the long run. So step away from the plants and ignore the Hollandaise sauce because you need to give your plants time to establish well. Asparagus really does need to be kept weed-free and the easiest way to do this is unfortunately by hand as tools can easily damage the shallow-rooted plants. It may seem like hard work, but as long as there are no perennial weeds, the annual ones take no time to remove by hand especially if you weed little and often, rather than letting the bed become swamped in weeds before tackling the job. Harvesting Once you're into years two and three, it's time to harvest a few spears, but only a few. Once they're really mature, you can normally harvest until mid-June, allowing the ferns to develop after this. To harvest the spears, make sure there is about 20 centimetres or 8 inches above the ground and using a sharp knife, cut them to 2 centimetres or 1 inch below ground level. You'll need to harvest every couple of days. If you get too many, they make good soup or freeze them. When you have harvested your spears, there is a knack to separating the tender tips from the woody end. Firmly hold both ends and bend the spear. You'll find there is a natural breaking point where it becomes tough, so just compost the harder bit. Post-harvest After mid-June, 
plants should be left to produce their rather impressive ferns. I find it best to push a few canes around the perimeter of the bed and tie some rope around them to form a boxing ring type structure around the plants. By doing this, you're giving them some support from summer winds, which can snap the stems or damage the crown as they rock in the wind. Therefore, support for these delicate crops is a must. Once your asparagus patch has been growing for a few years, you can split them in late winter or early spring by removing the soil from around the crowns and prizing a section off the side of the main crown, ensuring there is at least one growing tip and roots attached. These new crowns can then be planted elsewhere in the same manner as shop-bought plants or, alternatively, you can gift them to gardening friends. If your existing crowns are substantial, you may need to use a spade to cut the section away from the main plant if you can't prise it away. Once you've done this, don't divide the plants again for another three to four years, as you will lessen their vigour and ultimately you will reduce their cropping potential. Watch out for Thin or weak growth is usually a result of lack of watering. Asparagus plants like to be kept moist while they're growing and this is the best way to get thicker spears. Mulching plants well can help keep them moist and prevent excess water evaporation. Plus, if you're mulching with compost or manure, you're feeding the plants at the same time. If you find your spears are weak, make sure to harvest for only four weeks instead of eight. Otherwise, you'll weaken the plants even more. If your asparagus bed is too dry, not only can you have thin or weak spears, but those that you do harvest will be tasteless. Improve taste by watering well. Sometimes the first spears of the season can be curled at the growing tip. This is due to either late frost damaging the spears as they break through the soil surface or slugs damaging the tip, resulting in scar tissue which warps the spear as it grows. Consider earthing up your plants if a late frost is predicted. Asparagus beetle can be a problem on plants. Keep your eyes peeled and dispose of the insects as you see fit. Also, burn the canes at the end of the season as the beetles can overwinter in the hollow cavity when added to the compost bin, resulting in problems the following year. Composting with worms Worms are one of nature's wonders and can make fantastic compost too. In this extract from his recent book on composting, Nicky Scott offers this practical guide. Worms are a natural part of the composting process, invading heaps after all the heat and excitement generated during the hot phase of composting, which also releases masses of liquid from the decomposing materials. The worms that colonise compost heaps are native species, which live on the surface in the litter layer of the soil. In a compost heap, they feed away immediately under the fresh layer of waste, and so the larger the surface area in a wormery, the better. However, the wormeries on the market tend to be fairly vertical in shape, which makes them more convenient to fit into small spaces, but remember, it is the surface area that limits how much you can add at one time. Whenever I take my portable wormery into a school, it always generates huge enthusiasm from the staff and children alike. Some people really can't stand the worms, but most are fascinated by them. 
I love them for creating the very best compost and also for showing me that I've got the right conditions for them to thrive. When I take the front panels off one of my bins, I expect to see a veritable waterfall of worms. I generally use them to finish the compost coming from my hot tumbling systems, as sadly it is all too easy to kill off worms by overloading them with material. Nevertheless, many people use wormeries as one-stop shops to process material from start to finish. If you do use a wormery as a one-stop shop in this way, do be prepared for fruit flies and for the liquid released as the fresh material breaks down. Pros of composting with worms will deal with any kind of waste food, makes the best, richest compost, provides you with liquid feed, fun, kids love them too, can fit into a small space. It's a great way to finish off the compost from a tumbler system. Cons of composting with worms. Worms can eat only a small amount at a time. Adding too much material at once can cause the contents to heat up too much, which the worms don't like, and could result in dead worms. The wormery will start to fill up with leachate if it is not regularly trapped off, and if the tap blocks up, the worms will all die. If you add too much fruit, you will attract fruit flies. It helps if you can bury the fruit just under the surface. If you add any fresh meat, you will attract blowflies, but, as with fruit, you can bury small amounts. Starter Kits If you know nothing about wormeries, consider buying your wormery complete with a starter kit. This will contain all you need. Instructions, worms, bedding, ground limestone, sometimes worm treats and moisture mats. Types of wormery Most wormeries are made of plastic. There are three types. 1. A single container. Some resemble small wheelie bins with a tap at the bottom. Inside at the base is a perforated layer which allows liquid through. 2. A stacking system of shallow boxes with perforated bases. These systems are more expensive but make the emptying easier. 3. A worm bag. This is a woven polypropylene bag that is breathable, allowing air and liquids through, but not flies. Keep it in a container such as a small rubbish bin. Your local authority may offer wormeries at a reduced price, or you can easily research types and sources from many websites. Single Container Wormery These generally resemble a small wheelie bin. Some have an insulated jacket, which is a really good extra to get. They have a tap on the bottom to collect the liquid. Pros of single container wormeries. Upright shape, it fits into a small space. Everything you need is included. Can deal with all kitchen waste. Cons of single container wormeries. Small surface area limits the area the worms can work. Can deal with only small quantities per day. Taps get clogged easily and worms drown as a result. Whole container needs to be emptied when it is time to harvest. Stacking System Wormery This is a nesting stack of round or rectangular containers on a base unit which has a tap. Pros of stacking wormeries Makes emptying much easier. The worms migrate upwards as the wormery is filled and when all the trays are full, you simply remove the lowest tray, empty it and it becomes the new top tray. 
all the other pros of the single container composting system apply. Cons of stacking wormeries. Small surface area limits the area the worms can work, can deal with only small quantities per day. Taps get clogged easily and worms drown as a result. Plus extra cost. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Making your own wormery. Once you start keeping worms, you'll almost certainly want to increase your capacity. The more worms and wormeries you have, the more material you can process. Worms take their time, and so rather than forking out money buying lots of commercial wormeries, why not make your own? Get the book How to Make and Use Compost: The Practical Guide for Home, Schools, and Communities at thirteen pounds ninety nine by Nikki Scott. Reproduced by kind permission of Green Books at www.greenbooks.co.uk. Get hooked on soft fruit. After his two-part series on growing tree fruit, David Patch now turns his attention to soft fruit, one of the easiest and most rewarding groups of plants to grow. Currants and berries are where most people start their fruit growing journey as the rewards they offer far outweigh the minimal amount of effort required to grow them. They're much less daunting for the novice in terms of pruning and maintenance, and they're also normally much cheaper than the cost of an apple or pear tree. They take up less space, and most can be very easily grown in pots on a patio or balcony. For a few pounds, you can readily get started growing strawberries or currants and as the life expectancy of most soft fruit is a lot shorter than a top fruit tree it doesn't seem like such a commitment if it fails and it really won't you haven't wasted too much time and money so think of growing soft fruit as a gateway drug an introduction to the wonderful world of growing your own fruit we've got a lot of ground to cover this month so rather than an in-depth look at each plant and its specific needs I'm going to give a brief introduction and a beginner's rating. How suitable each one is for a complete novice. 
I'll also try and pick out one or two of the best varieties to look out for and give you my top tip for a successful crop. Strawberries. Beginner rating, 10 out of 10. The best way to start growing fruit by far. The plants are cheap to buy, you can easily grow in a pot or container and you don't have to wait long for the first crop. The best bit is the flavour. There is little to compare to the thrill of picking your first homegrown strawberry, perfectly ripe and warmed by the morning sun. They even produce new young plants in autumn, runners, which you can pot up as free replacements, although it is worth buying fresh virus-free plants from a reputable nursery every six years or so. Recommended varieties. Marshmallow and Sweetheart are two of the best for cropping and flavour. Or try an ever-bearing type such as Flamenco, which will produce a few fruits for a long period over the summer, rather than lots all in one go. Essential growing tips. Sun and then more sun. Strawberries just won't do well in a shady site. The sugars will not form in the fruit. They also like good drainage, so add a little grit or wash sand before planting if your soil is heavy. The best tip is to mulch the plants. Strulch is fantastic, just as the fruits start to form. Not only will this deter slugs, it will also keep moisture levels even and stop the fruit splitting. Potting strawberry runners step by step. Strawberry runners can be purchased from fruit specialists for much of the year, either as freshly lifted or cold stored plants. Here's what to do when they arrive. 1. As soon as they arrive, pot your new runners or plant into a prepared bed. 2. The crown of the plant should be above the soil after planting or potting. 3. Remove dead leaves and trim off the old stem of the runner if still attached. Blackberries and hybrid berries. Beginner rating 6 out of 10. While there's nothing particularly tricky about blackberries, they can take up quite a lot of valuable space. The other option is to fan train them against a fence or wall, but this can be a bit fiddly. They also fruit on one-year-old wood, so prune out any canes once they've fruited, leaving just new growth will fruit the following year. On the plus side, there have been many good varieties introduced over recent years, so there are lots of options which are thornless and crop heavily. And blackberry and apple crumble is surely the finest of all desserts, so it's definitely worth finding room if you can. Recommended varieties If you want to create a large burglar-proof barrier, go for Himalayan Giant. The thorns are vicious and it is a brute of a plant, but the flavour is exceptional. For a better-behaved plant, choose Triple Crown. Thorn-free, upright growth, which is easy to train and top quality fruit. Red currants, white currants and gooseberries. Beginner rating, 8 out of 10. I've grouped these three together for a couple of reasons. They all grow the same way on small bushes with a permanent branch structure which produces fruit year after year. Plus, they will all tolerate some shade, so good for the trickier areas of your garden. All three are much underrated and should be more widely grown. They are some of the least demanding plants to grow and the fruit from all three is extremely versatile. 
don't just think of red currant jelly. You can add to all sorts of puddings and savoury dishes. Recommended varieties. Red currant red lake is one of the most reliable to crop. For white currants, white grape is an old favourite. Although the heritage French variety, Bar le Duc, is worth seeking out for the very best flavour. The Finnish bred Hinomaki series of gooseberries are the easiest to grow, with excellent disease resistance. The red form is the sweetest. Alternatively, look for Leveller, an old favourite that is hard to beat for taste. Raspberries. Beginner rating 6 out of 10. The second most popular choice, but actually slightly trickier for the complete beginner. They take up a fair amount of space and don't do well in pots. And there are two types with different pruning regimes, summer and autumn fruiting, which can be confusing. If you have room, they are undemanding plants to grow, needing only a cool, moist root run, and they do crop heavily. Recommended varieties. For a summer crop, Glen Ample is an old favourite, which does very well in most sites. Maling Juno is a new variety, which is well worth trying. The flavour is fantastic. For autumn crops, try Paris. Huge crops and super tasty. Essential growing tips. Autumn fruiting varieties are the easiest to grow and will also crop the first year after planting. The normal advice is to prune the canes back to soil level after you've picked the fruit. But if you leave some canes untouched, they will produce a small bonus crop the following summer. Great if you only have room for one variety and want to extend the season. Black currants. Beginner rating 9 out of 10. I'd put these up there with strawberries in terms of beginner friendliness. One plant won't cost much and they'll produce a lot of fruit. They have a short shelf life so are hard to find in the shops but are an amazingly versatile fruit in the kitchen. They produce fruit on one-year-old wood, so you're constantly trying to encourage new growth for future crops and pruning out any old stems once they've fruited. Much easier than I've made it sound. They don't do well in pots but are very happy in heavy soils and will tolerate some shades. Recommended varieties. Ben Sarak is the best for most gardens as it is compact in growth but the fruit is quite large. Maling Jet is my personal favourite, slightly later to crop, and the fruit is the sweetest of all black currants. Essential growing tips. Plant quite deep, almost burying the crown. This encourages new shoots for heavier crops next year. This is one of the few fruit bushes that responds well to mulching with homemade compost or well-rotted manure. Blueberries. Beginner rating, 8 out of 10. About 10 years ago, blueberries were the latest trendy superfood and everyone's must-have plant. Although this interest has subsequently waned, they remain near the top of any list of fruit suitable for a novice. The fruit is delicious and very healthy. The plants suffer from almost no pests or diseases, need almost no pruning and they do very well in pots. Yes, they need acidic soil, so if in any doubt, grow in pots and use ericaceous, lime-free compost. Recommended varieties. Blue crop is still one to beat in terms of yield. 
but Rubel has possibly the finest flavour. If space is at a premium, try Northland, which is more compact. Essential growing tips. Blueberries aren't reliably self-fertile, so plant two to get the best crops. Use rainwater to water if possible, as it is softer and helps keep the soil acidity levels down. A dose of tomato fertiliser in early summer will help fruit ripen and improve the flavour. Against all odds, a gardener's lot is not without its trials and tribulations. However, despite a pandemic, a lockdown and relentless predators last year, keen grower Sandra Barnes has reasons to be cheerful. I've always been an avid grower, dating back to when I was a child. I was given a small piece of garden which I proclaimed was my vegetable plot. From those early days I was hooked, and from that moment my passion for growing has stayed with me. However, last year's growing season, as I was going to discover, was to be totally different, and somewhat of a challenge in more ways than one. A frisson of excitement enveloped me as I cleared the dining table, covered it with a plastic tablecloth, and set down my bag of seed compost, cell trays, flower pots, and a variety of seed packets, sowing red and yellow tomatoes, cucumber, lettuce, aubergine, runner beans, courgette, basil, lemon basil, thyme, and various flower seeds. I didn't have any pepper seeds, so several weeks prior to my grand sowing day, when I was chopping a shop-brought pepper for dinner, I saved a few seeds putting them between two sheets of kitchen roll and setting them aside. I planted four of these pepper seeds. There is something very calming and therapeutic about sowing seeds, the promise of giving life, creating a living organism, which in turn repays its debt by sustaining our lives once it bears fruit. Each morning I awoke, eager to go to my dining room, which now resembled a nursery, Excited to inspect each flower pot and seed tray, expectant to see which seeds would break through the surface first, watering where necessary and encouraging them to grow. Lockdown. During the time it had taken my tiny seedlings to grow into plants, we were in the clutches of a pandemic and ultimately lockdown. Initially, we tried to obtain compost and grow bags. It appeared to be a total impossibility, as everyone wanted to grow their own. We had become overnight a nation of vegetable growers. People who had never grown anything in their life had suddenly bought vegetable seeds, compost and grow bags en masse. My plants were growing and needed potting on, and for several weeks we tried desperately to obtain compost and grow bags. Eventually, we managed to obtain six bags of compost which we were able to get delivered from our local garden centre, but still no grow bags. The tomato plants were growing rapidly and had to be replanted. The only option was for us to make our own grow bags. We quite simply filled reusable shopping bags with compost and planted the tomato plants. We planted the remainder of the tomato plants in old waste paper bins and the rest were planted directly into the garden. I never actually thought the peppers would grow as I'd saved the seeds, but they did, and I planted one of the pepper plants in a trough along with an aubergine plant and the remaining pepper plants were planted into troughs and put outside in the garden. 
the cucumber plants were planted into old compost bags, refilled with compost. The early lettuce plants were transplanted into troughs, along with some radish seeds. In the garden, we prepared the raised beds and planted sugar snap peas, carrots, beetroot, more lettuce and radish seeds. The runner beans and courgette plants were also planted. We did try, unsuccessfully, to buy some seed potatoes and onion sets online, but, like the grow bags, none could be found anywhere. Along with daily watering, all plants were given plant food on a regular basis. We moved to this house in 2019 and hadn't done any serious planting until now. As all gardeners know, with each new garden comes a learning curve. The soil, weather, wildlife, etc. That is exactly what it has been for us. Smash and grab. Our house is a project of a cottage and the garden backs onto a sloping farmland. All the way along the back of the garden is a raised bed, which comes directly from the farmland. One morning, I noticed that all 50 of my sugar snap peas had disappeared and in the place of each seed was a hole. The holes were all the same size. I was annoyed at this smash and grab raid, assuming birds were to blame. I prepared the ground again, replanting the sugar snap peas. I thought at this point it would be prudent to bird-proof the seeds, something I should have thought of initially, but as the saying goes, hindsight is... After watering the seeds in, I placed lengths of guttering over the seeds to protect them. I felt very pleased with myself, thinking I'd outwitted those pesky birds. Several days later, I lifted the guttering to find, yet again, all the sugar snap peas had vanished without trace, holes being the only clue that anything had ever been there at all. There was no way a bird could have got in and taken them, not unless they had a shovel under their wing and tunnelled their way through. It was a mystery. I inspected my other beds to find the neat rows of beetroot, carrots, radishes and lettuces were no longer straight. They were all totally wonky and in some places the plants were raised from the soil. The culprits, we discovered, were field voles, tunnelling in from the farmland behind our hedge, who had invaded our garden and left with their booty undetected. Brazen thief. However, the radish thief had no qualms at all about being spotted. He was brazen and in full view for us to see. From a distance, we saw a rabbit sitting in the raised bed, and thought, how cute is that? Can he see his little ears twitching, my husband said. Ah, yes, he's just so lovely, came my reply. It was only as we got close to the rabbit, before he scampered back through the hedge, that we saw the reason for his twitching ears. It was because he was eating the tops off the radishes. We could almost hear him saying, mmm, delicious, yum, yum. We have yet to discover the perpetrator who has been chopping off the leaves of the marigolds, and leaving them in a very neat pile for us. We'll be putting up a wanted poster very soon. We have had to deal with all the normal garden predators such as birds, slugs, snails, black fly, red spider mite, butterflies, etc. Photo Fit Scarecrow To help protect our crops further, I decided to make a scarecrow. As it was locked down, I was unable to source any sacking or straw, making do with very limited materials, which were some bamboo canes, cardboard, foil and an old black rain jacket. With this in mind, my scarecrow wasn't of the traditional variety. 
He didn't even have a hat, just a hood. Instead, my scarecrow looked very sinister and resembled a photo fit from Crime Watch. It didn't scare any wildlife away, although it did manage to make my husband jump when he went into the garden. Despite all of these challenges against all odds, we have had a marvellous crop of most of our produce, with the exception of some of the beetroot plants. The leaves looked really healthy, and it was not until we pulled them out that we discovered the voles had been feeding on them too. There was literally nothing underneath the soil. Triumph over adversity. We learnt a lot about our garden last year. We know what to plant and where. The courgettes, lettuces, radishes and runner beans still fared really well, planted directly into the ground, despite interventions from the field voles. This year, we'll be growing a lot of vegetables in pots, troughs, bags, just anything that will suffice to be a container suitable for growing. We will triumph over adversity. During this awful pandemic situation, we have taken solace from our garden. It has given us so much pleasure watching our garden grow, witnessing a huge variety of wildlife and species of birds, helping to keep us grounded and maintain our sanity. When the pandemic first took hold, with food shortages becoming evident, preserving food became a priority. And for the first time in my life, I found myself saying, We have one carrot left. Shall we have it today or save it for tomorrow? With this in mind, we have been planning this year's vegetable garden to enable us to sustain ourselves all year round. If you pass by and hear banging and sawing, it'll be because we are building a fortress around our garden to prevent further invasion. Last Word No Dig Pioneer An Interview with Charles Dowding Charles Dowding has been an avid pioneer of organic and no-dig principles for nearly 40 years. He chats to gardening writer and blogger Dan Hayes about his life and passion for growing organic food. The lockdowns have created a surge in people's interest in gardening, but how do you think this interest can be sustained? There definitely needs to be more awareness about the pleasure of growing your own and the health benefits, both physical and mental. For example, I work with three Prue schools in Surrey, where the teenagers are thriving on their curriculum of gardening for food. Interest comes from success, and no dig gives that, also with less tedious work, such as the continuous weeding, which follows digging. Gardeners who grow vegetables are boosting their immune system in many ways, so it's the hobby we all need now. Who do you credit for giving you your enthusiasm for gardening? My mother got me started. She was great. And then I met Joy Larkham, Chris Baines and Anne Swithenbank. You've had quite a journey from Somerset through Cambridge University, rural France, Zambia, Kenya, the Inner Hebrides and various parts of the UK, and then to your present garden at Homemakers. How have you had to adapt to suit this variation? A little. However, the principles of no dig stay the same and my many gardens show how it's successful in varied environments and on any soil. 
Through the comments to my video, I hear of no-dig success in countries all over the world, to name a few. The Philippines, Argentina, Chile, Mexico, India, Australia, Bulgaria, Italy, Barbados and dry states of the US, including Arizona. What was Homemakers like when you first saw it? In 2012, Homemakers was all weedy, grassy with some brambles and the house was unexceptional. However, I dug a hole to check the soil and it was lovely. Even more than that, I had nowhere else to go. I was on a deadline to leave Lower Farm. Houses with some land in this area are exceptionally scarce, so I was fortunate to say the least. I would have had to settle in a less desirable place if homemakers had not been available, and it was on the market for two years before I bought it. Nobody wanted it. Permaculture Are you an active user of the moon as your planting and harvesting guide? Permaculture is too vague a word for me. I prefer common sense, which includes sowing by the moon. When seeds are activated by warmth and moisture, they imbibe a horoscope of the energies at that moment. It's one of the many qualities affecting subsequent growth. Sowing by the moon has been around since probably the dawn of farming and gardening. It's not permaculture, it's not biodynamic or any other word. Just sensible. We all have veg or plant that works or doesn't for us. What is your plant heaven or hell? Lettuces tops and Chinese artichokes are my least favourite in terms of time needed per food harvested. Can you give the readers a growing tip on something you often find is a problem for them? When starting out, mulch thoroughly to eliminate all weeds. Keep pulling bindweed and couch grass until they disappear. It's possible to achieve 100% clean soil. This saves so much time, our most valuable asset. For sure there is still weeding, seeds blow in, etc. But it's manageable. You are in control and can be creative. Shoprock compost has garnered much criticism recently for the pesticide residue in it, the wildly varying composition of it and the use of peat. How do you view it? Yes, the peat-free business has accumulated many problems and pyrrolid weed killers are becoming a serious issue and awfully common. I know gardeners who now just won't buy compost. I wish that compost companies would invest more in getting it right. From my own experience, there's a lot of rubbish out there and it's discouraging thousands of people. Are you much of a seed saver or do you prefer a fresh packet every year? I feel safer using freshly bought or freshly home-saved. However, brassicas, endives and tomatoes stay viable for a long time and I sometimes use some three or four-year-old seeds of them. You have a fabulously productive plot, but have you any ideas readers can adapt for their own plots? Maybe grow on less space and do it more intensively. Always have something growing and keeping a small space full means you need, in the end, less compost use less time and get more enjoyment. We all enjoy growing, but what is the greatest length your love of growing has taken you in the name of fruit and veg? Back in the 1980s, I ran a 7.5 acre market garden. In summer, we started at 5am and sometimes I would continue without breakfast until a 1pm lunch without feeling stressed. Are you much of a grower of fruit in all its different forms? For sure, and I love apples, gauges, figs and raspberries the most. 
feel fortunate to live in an apple-friendly climate. We all have good growing years and bad growing years, but which crops always work well for you? Lettuce is always good and so are carrots, but I'm struggling to prevent root fly in the autumn. Maintain a tidy garden with no wooden sides to beds for fewer slugs. Is there anything different you like to grow? I grew a loofah and am enjoying using one, but wish for a larger and better processed result. What about online courses? Many people prefer visuals to books. The courses are actually a combination of writing, photos with captions, often sequential, and videos. I can update the information easily and can sell worldwide without distribution costs. Your new book, No Dig Gardening, goes more into no dig and composts than any previous book, I believe. Yes, the new book is No Dig Gardening, from weeds to vegetables easily and quickly. It's hardback and packed with a lot of information. Photos, too, guide the reader through why no dig works so well and how to apply it in both small and large spaces. Finally, what does the future hold for you? Any projects planned? Planning is difficult because of Covid. I had hoped to teach further afield and had trips to Australia and the US in early stages of planning for 2021. Neither will happen now. I feel that my methods have a lot to offer to a wider audience, so I continue striving to reach them. I'm so grateful to social media for affording this opportunity. You can follow Charles on Twitter at Charles Dowding, on Instagram Charles underscore Dowding. Subscribe to his YouTube videos. Just search for Charles Dowding. Find out more about him at his website www.charlesdowding.co.uk. You can purchase all of his books from his website or any good bookstore, including his excellent new title, No Dig Garden. Thank you for listening to the audio edition of the March 2021 issue of Kitchen Garden magazine. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to Kitchen Garden Prime for just £4.99 per month. You'll be getting a whole lot for your plot, including an easy-read tablet and phone edition to read anywhere, anytime. Exclusive access to 10 years of digital back-issue archives, access to exclusive content from the online allotment, the Mudcuteers website, plus the monthly print magazine will be delivered free to your door each month. Head to classicmagazines.co.uk forward slash KG Prime to sign up today. 